Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning, 9.30 a.m., February 27th, 2019. This is episode 68 of Bitcoin, and this should be a short one today. Uh, news, a little news light. Unless you're, you know, the kind, if you're worried about the kind of news of like, you know, Pakistan and India shooting each other's planes out of the sky, then yeah, I guess it's not a, not a a light news day. But as far as stuff we give a shit about, uh, it is kind of a light news day. So this should be a short one. So I'm going to do this one a little different. I'm going to start off with vital statistics. We have Bitcoin at an average of $3,828. Looks like the highs over at Bitfinex at $3,910. And Bitstamp has the low $3,794. 342,000 Bitcoin transactions have been made over the last 24 hours with an average transact or transactions on average per hour is about 14,250. 1.3 million Bitcoin have been sent across the network in the last 24 hours with an average sent per hour of 56,716 BTC. Average transaction value is 4 BTC and the median transaction value is 0.029 BTC or about 112 bucks US. Block time is consistent at 10 minutes 13 seconds. It looks like 0.23 BTC per block is being uh, handled as fees. And fees over the last 24 hours is about 32 BTC. Uh, Hash rate has increased 3% to 44 44 exahashes per second. And the last Bitcoin or GitHub commit for the Bitcoin core code was done yesterday on the 26th. Across the board is Ethereum at 138, Litecoin at 45, Bcash at 132, BSV at 69.72, Ethereum Classic is $4.32, Dogecoin is 0.002, and at 27,000 transactions over the last 24 hours, it's smoking both Bcash and BSV put together. Those are your vital statistics. Okay, in uh, in place of the morning roundup, I am going to talk specifically uh, about BIP forty seven. Um, 
and some things that are that are uh, some things that are that are coming across my Twitter feed uh, that I was I was unaware of this thing called BIP forty seven. Of course, how the hell can you keep up with all this stuff? Because this the development on on the Bitcoin network is happening so fast. It's it's impossible for any one person to be able to uh, <clears throat> keep up with with all of it. So what I want to do is I want to revisit something that happened or something that I talked about on uh, the last show, and that was uh, VJ Boyapati <clears throat> uh, at real underscore V-I-J-A-Y. I had read his, his particular tweet that was um, – it was part of a it was part of a response to a response to his tweet storm that he was about passing the torch and the you know the whole lightning torch and the LN trust chain that that we all know about uh but he had this he had this response to Mike in space and Mike had said send it to Zaya Sauter or Janie Gack and show the world the true power of censorship resistance it would be fitting coming from you Okay, so those two people are in Iran, and as we discussed, Iran is under sanctions and and having any kind of dealings, uh, at least financially, with somebody in Iran um, is not going to be looked at well in the eyes of the the United States federal government. Okay, so we had I had talked about the fact that well, what is Bitcoin here to solve? And it's um, well, it's <clears throat> essentially. Since it's censorship resistance. That's one of the things that we all, you know, that we all yammer and 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 talk about all the time is how, oh, well, you can't censor it. And it's like, and that's true. You you kind of can't censor it, except in this particular case. And there's there's two parts to this. Um and we'll I'll go into this into the second part or I'll go into that here in a little bit. But what VJ's replied when he replied to Mike in space and he says, yes, I really, really, really wanted to send it to uh, Zaya Sauter, but U.S. law makes it very risky for me as a citizen. Very sad that two peaceful people cannot transact with each other across the world because of the state. And then he, he actually gives uh, a, a link to uh, Cor- uh, Cornell Law School. Uh, <clears throat> and it looks like the uh, it looks like certain non-commercial personal remittances to or from Iran authorized. And it's basically the law, uh, par- sentence by sentence, as far as the United States code goes. Um, and no, you, you, you kind of can't do it. It's, it's illegal to transact a, or remit money to states that are on the uh, terrorist, uh, when when the United States government calls some country a terrorist organization or a terrorist country, blah blah blah, at that point all United States citizens are under kind of they got the we got the boot on our neck as to whether or not we're going to be able to transact. So that's that's where the where the physical law comes in. So if if Bitcoin is censorship resistant, right, then who gives a shit? Well, what who really does give a shit is the people who are broadcasting that that they may or that they may do a thing where that thing is against, you know, chapter 31 of the uniform United States code or or whatever, right? 
and that I think that that might have been VJ's uh, gripe, is or not gripe, but the reason that he wasn't going to send it to uh, to uh, Sauter in Iran was the fact that he would basically essentially be telling the world because he's got the torch. So everybody who's watching this thing um, knows where it's, you know, where that torch is going to go next. And if, uh, if Sauter had tweeted out that they received the torch and I mean, because the way this thing is done is through Twitter, you basically tweet out an invoice that I want the torch. So Sauter would have to tweet out an invoice direct to VJ and if if Sauter got the torch, then that would be proof in Twitter that VJ gave Sauter the uh, the torch. And at that point, Mr. Boyapati, we'd like to talk with you a minute. I mean that that would happen. So, but there's there's a a, a slightly different issue insofar that it may be. It may very well be that, or actually, I, it, from what I can tell, is it, it definitely is uh, that Lightning Network happens through Tor channels, and apparently, somehow, the the government of Iran has blocked all Tor. I don't know that. I if somebody can verify that, that would be awesome. But from what I can see, uh, from several people talking or several people talking about it, is that in fact. Uh, Tor is definitely blocked throughout Iran. And if that's true, then a lightning transaction would not be able to be made. So not censorship resistant. And I'm not, I'm not bitching about it. I'm not saying, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to come down on, on, uh, you know, against lightning network because we have this instance where the, we've got problems. If it's not a Tor issue. Okay. If, if, all the people that I'm looking at are, are wrong in that Tor is not being blocked. And I'm not sure how exactly that you can, I guess just by blocking all dot, dot onion. So I don't know exactly how that works because I'm not a computer scientist, but let's say that it's not that issue. Let's say that it's not a blocking of Tor. Well, then what is it? <clears throat> well, it's, well, <laughs> That would be um, coming back down to what I talked about on Monday is the fact that it, you know, it's sort of like that whole thing in Star Wars. Fear of this battle station will keep the local systems in line. Battle station being the United States law and the fact that you're broadcasting what your intent is on a very public forum, uh, in this case, Twitter. Okay, so if VJ doesn't want to go to jail, then he kind of can't do this. So what is that? <clears throat> well, that's called the Panopticon. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what Panopticon is, let me give you a definition. All right, so there's this guy named Jeremy Bentham who died uh something so I can't remember sort of end of the 18th century or mid 18th century or mid 1800s I think. And he was a philosopher and um, academic and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, his his claim to fame is uh, the progen- one of the progenitors of utilitarianism. And um, and I well, I won't get it. I'm not going. I don't want to do any utilitarianism. But he also developed he he developed this 
this thing called the Panopticon. And in the later years of his life, he got pretty obsessed with building a prison that operated on the Panopticon principle. Okay, so here's here's a small definition. Jeremy Bentham in the late 18th century <clears throat> had a scheme to design um, an in, or a penitentiary to allow all inmates of an institution to be observed by a single watchman without the inmates being able to tell whether or not they were being watched. Although it is physically impossible for the single watchman to observe all of the inmates' cells at once, the fact that the inmates cannot know when they are being watched means that they are motivated to act as though they are being watched at all times. Thus, they are effectively compelled to regulate their own behavior. Uh, what does that sound like? Well, that sounds exactly what, what's going on with VJ. Well, we can't tell. I mean, it's, it, it, and back then, it, was, it would be physically impossible uh, to watch all the inmates. Now, with AI, algorithms, a whole bunch of uh, cameras, it's not impossible for a single person or no person at all to watch the behavior of untold millions of people. <clears throat> and, but even then, we're still on that thing where, okay, well, what if VJ, you know, uh, takes the invoice to somebody from Iran, sends the lightning torch? Well, VJ knows everybody's watching this. And it ain't just all the good people that are watching this too. You know, people like Craig Wright, patent troll, and now I guess he's turning into some kind of lawyer. I don't know what's going on with Craig, but people like that will are watching and will call the fuzz out on VJ if they if uh, VJ were to attempt to uh, negotiate with anybody inside of a terrorist state or a state that's been called terrorist by either the United States or some other, you know, large economy, Western country. Okay. So what we have here is self-censorship. Okay. So, and, and again, this is, this is, let's, let's say that Tor is not blocked in Iran. So the only reason in that, if that would, if that were the case, it's theoretical, let's say Tor is not blocked in Iran, then in that theoretical case, the only thing that's motivating or rather demotivating VJ from passing, excuse me, passing the torch is this self-regulation that was imposed on all of us by the state. Okay. So here we have edge effect going on. We have the whole, the, one of the, one of the main tenants of this technology is basically to give the finger to anybody who tells you that you can't pay somebody something rubbing up against a system that said, I don't really necessarily need to pull your plugs. I can just make you feel like you're being watched and that if we catch you doing X, you're going to go to prison if we can prove it. And in this case, that's the, the edge that is the edge that's rubbing up against each other this is not one of the edges that you want because there's there edge effect has this, this thing about <clears throat> you can either have two systems rubbing up against each other and both of them benefit. Both of them uh, lose energy. One gains while one loses or one gains while the other one 
doesn't notice anything or vice versa. That's pretty much the only things that can happen when two edges meet. We're always hoping for uh, the edge, the edges of uh, two systems coming up against each other to basically benefit both of the systems. This is not the case here. The case here is that one system, the world that we live in, is being denigrated while the United States code doesn't gain nor lose anything. It just remains the same. And this is one of the, the, one of the more piss-poor edge effects that you can get. Okay. That said, that bring, the, this whole thing came up because I found this tweet from Laurent M.T. Um, and Laurent M.T. says, Hi, Zaya Sauter. Do you have a paynim? Since LN payment channels seem to have a problem with Iran, let's start a paynim torch based on BIP47 payment tunnels. And I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this tweet going, I've been in this space for a long time, and this shit reads like Greek. Paynim, P-A-Y-N-Y-M. I'm sure that it's come across my radar before, but I mean, I I didn't notice it. And the reason I guess I didn't notice it because there was not an instantiation of Paynim. So I'm having to dig into Paynim. So what the hell is Paynim? Uh, so as Laurent says, Paynim is based on BIP 47. So what's BIP Bitcoin improvement protocol? It's, you know, for those that don't know, <clears throat> it's a way that uh, the core development team and anybody who's who's involved in in helping build you know build out the Bitcoin code base, it could also you know it, it, there's a lot of different things. But this particular one is sort of you know a um, um, an, not an improvement, but a piece of code that works with the Bitcoin code that causes some you know that that provides for for something else. And that's pretty much pretty much what BIPs do. This one is BIP forty seven, and I'm going to read the this is I'm going to read the abstract and the motivation uh, sections from the GitHub repository for uh, BIP forty seven. And I'm actually looking for. It looks like this was was suggested in uh, two. I think it was two thousand sixteen. So it's not it's it's not all that old, uh, ain't all that new either. But in in either in either event, let's let's what is this thing? So the abstract says this BIP defines a technique for creating a payment code, which can be publicly advertised and associated with a real life identity, without creating the loss of security or privacy inherent to P2PKH address reuse. This BIP is a particular application of BIP 43 and is intended to supplement HD wallets, which implement BIP 44. All right, so motivation. Payment codes add identity information to transactions, which is useful in a merchant-customer interaction while protecting the privacy of users. Payment codes provide the privacy benefits of dark wallet-style stealth addresses to SPV clients without requiring the assistance of a trusted full node and while greatly reducing reliance on blockchain storage. Okay, so that's sort of the the, the technical description. 
kind of of what's going on here. But let's dig into this a little bit more. Paynim, P-A-Y-N-Y-M. Uh, essentially, Lawrence starting starting a new torch, specifically a torch to be passed to somebody uh, in Iran, and it's not lightning. It's not lightning network. Okay, let's be clear about that. This is not the LN Trust chain. This is not a derivative of the LN Trust chain, like all the other uh, Lightning Network torches that that have been lit and are passing being passed around. This is different. Um, so, what the hell is Paynum? Um, well, first of all, let's 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 get to the happy part of the story. <clears throat> uh, Mister Sauter re, uh, replies back to Laurent MT's tweet with one word received. There we go. Okay. So Lawrence lights a torch, a Paynum torch and passes it to somebody in, I, you know, what the West considers, or I guess I Western governments. I don't, I'm getting tired of having, it's like, you know, all Americans or all Canadians, you know, do X because their government, you know, or think X because their government does, you know, Y. That's bullshit. Uh, most, I, I think most of the people that are, that have nothing to do with government, they're just running around trying to live their lives, actually have a, a different view of what's going on with the people of a country that acts as ridiculously as Iran has acted in the past. But then again, you know, uh, this up for debate as to why they're at, you know, that government is acting weird, but it doesn't really matter because it's not the governments that I care about anymore. It's the people within the boundaries that a government enforces. And here we have somebody who said, who raised the finger to all governments and basically said, F you, I'm giving this thing to somebody who lives in something that is considered a terrorist state. And they did it with Paynum. Okay. So a payment has been made across a border that is persona non, non grata, right? You know, it just not, not, not something that you want, um, or, or, or rather it's not something that governments would want to see. So how did this occur? Well, it's easy to get to pay them. Uh, you can just Google P A Y N Y M, or you can just type in P A Y N Y M dot I S and get to the pay website. So in the about section, it says unique, stealthy, and yours. What your pain in bot can do for you. Your bot is unique. A bot is a visual representation of a valid BIP47 reusable payment code. BIP47 wallets produce a special code that never changes. This code can then be shared publicly and when scanned by a compatible wallet will generate a unique unused Bitcoin address without revealing prior transaction or balance history. A bot is created by taking a valid BIP 47 code and applying a special hashing algorithm, which produces a unique finger fingerprint used to create the bot image and identifier. Each bot is unique. And I'm going to stop right there and kind of give you a description of what I'm seeing in case you're not in a place where you can get to a computer. Um, it, it generates a little robot, like uh, little robot characters. Um, and what I mean by that is like a, a, like a 2d cartoon. It's like, like you it look, and they're really cool looking too. 
you know, it's, they're in color and they look, you know, funny. They look like something that you might see out of like Futurama, like one of Bender's cousins or something like that. It's, it's really neat. So it looks kind of, it reminds me of, uh, what the hell was that thing called? Well, the kitty cats on ether that crushed their network or something like that. I can't remember what it was. Uh, internet kitties. I, I can't remember the name of it, but most people know, probably know what I'm talking about where, um, you know, these, these little kitties were being traded for ETH and the more unique the kitty that you could produce by crossbreeding two of the other kitties that you already owned, you, you know, if you came up with a really unique one, the more unique it was, the more ETH you could sell it for. And I don't know if, if anybody's really still doing that thing anymore. This looks like it might have the same kind of, um, the same kind of guts to the generation of, of how, how you can regenerate so many different things. And each one of them is completely different. Um, these little animate or not, they're not animated, but like these little 2d, you know, art color characters. Um, it looks for me, it seems I, I, I want to know more about what's underneath the hood on how the hell you're able to hash um, or, or, or a hashing algorithm can look at a, at a unique address on a bit 47 code and then generate from scratch without anybody kind of, you know, in an automated fashion, come up with a, a robot character that looks as cool as these, these things are really neat looking, man. I mean, anyway, okay. So let's, let's get, let's get back into this. Your bot is stealthy. Gone are the days of revealing your balance and transaction history to the entire world. Transactions are always valid Bitcoin transactions that are sent and confirmed on the blockchain. A unique Bitcoin address is automatically generated behind the scenes in your wallet for every new transaction your bot handles. Addresses are never reused and are only known by the sender and receiver of the transaction. Stealthy. Your bot is yours. Bots are controlled and managed using client-side wallet software. Only the provable owner of the private keys can interact with their bot. Your bot isn't an intermediary or third-party service. Only your wallet possesses the private keys needed to control them. Claim yours today. And man, I was going to claim mine yesterday until I hit the get started now button and realized I can or at least in, I haven't looked any farther than this, but I have to get Samurai Wallet. And the only button available here in Paynum is the download for Android. And I don't have an Android. I I use iOS. So I, I, I don't know if Samurai Wallet has an iOS version yet. Last I heard, they were working on it. I don't know if it got released in either event. I can't get a bot. I cannot get a Paynum bot, and I'm very, very upset about that shit. And I'm not going to go get an Android phone so that I can go do it. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to figure out, figure out a way around this one uh, because I want one. I want I want a Paynum bot. It, you know, that way I can make jokes about how it's a Paynum in the ass. Get it? Uh, sorry. Um, I think this is really cool. Um, and what's what I really like about the fact that this is not layer two technology. This is an this to me is def, I would define this as an extinct as an extension of layer one, the actual Bitcoin blockchain. 
because this is not riding on top. So this, because it's on the Bitcoin blockchain, the payments are, you know, you're not going to be doing microtransactions. Um, you're going to be doing large, you know, larger transactions than that. But the fact that I can get a bot that I control with my private keys. And every time I use that bot, it like pulls a disposable paper towel to wash his hands at, to be able you know, pulls a paper, like a, a disposable paper towel is what the, what this looks like. It writes a message on it, gives it to the one person that can only be able to decipher that message. And then it's just destroyed, gets the message, gets the information out of the message and then just lights the napkin on fire. You know, I mean, that is, that is really cool. I definitely want to be watching these guys and I'm hoping that we see a lot more Paynum torches and the hashtag that's being used, as you can imagine is hashtag Paynum torch, all one word. Um, and Laurent, man, uh, I know you're, you know, not the only person that knows about Paynum, but I am thankful that I, you know, was able to scrape your particular tweet and and see this thing about Paynum because now it gives me, as if I needed anything else, to, if I need if as if I needed any other rabbit holes around here here, I've got this this whole Paynum torch which has this really really neat looking architecture. <laughs> as far as being a, how, how it builds its bots. I want to know as much about that as, you know, I'm, I'm as excited about what's under the hood on just how to generate these 2d bots with a particular hash of a, of a bit 47 address. than I am about the fact that it's yet one more extension of the primary or the layer one blockchain technology for Bitcoin. It's kind of, I don't know. I, I'm blown away and I think it's really, really cool. Um, again, you can get to all this stuff if you go to the show notes and I always up upload these shows to SoundCloud. So um, if you're unable to get to the show notes through any other medium, uh, just go to SoundCloud for Bitcoin and, and then click on the show and the show notes will come up. The uh, link to the, my Twitter timeline that I use to set up all these shows. This is where all the tweets will live forever unless I get banned. Um, uh, so you can go find the Laurent MT payment, uh, Paynum torch tweet that I'm talking about. It's in my morning roundup. Uh, and that uh, link that that's in the show notes goes directly to the morning roundup. So you'll scan through three or four tweets and then you'll see the Laurent MT tweet, uh, for Paynum torch. Uh, <clears throat> while we're on torches and lightning network, actually, well, Paynum's not lightning network. Let's jump up a level uh, to level two and talk a little bit about what's going on with lightning network. Uh, Pierre Rochard has given a sort of like a public service announcement. He says, warning lightning node operators. I would strongly advise against using autopilot only open channels with people. You can contact outside of lightning network at least until there are static channel backups. In case of data corruption, you can ask your peer to force close the channel. Um, that's sort of, like I said, that's sort of um, a public service announcement. He goes on uh, to say, just found out that even if your peer force closes the channel, the coins do not automatically go to your <clears throat> on-chain mnemonic seed. Can't emphasize this enough. Use reliable hardware 
especially while we don't have static channel backups. And then he gives a guide to a medium uh, post or a medium.com post that is entitled lightning routing node starter pack. And Pierre has written that himself. So thanks Pierre. I appreciate that as I'm sure we all do. Last thing in uh, this particular stack is um, let's see here. Dun, dun, dun. Oh yeah. Uh, now it's like the, the lightning torch, the news, uh, Bitcoin or Bitcoin Corner has a tweet that says the latest big names to join the Lightning Torch Bitcoin payments experiment are financial giant Fidelity Investments, and we talked about that on Monday. But now it's LinkedIn co-founder Reed Hoffman. <laughs> so you know now the co-founder of LinkedIn had you know had had the torch. I mean, man, that's that's. Pretty freaking cool, dude. So um, the torch march, that torch marches on. We have a, a new type of torch being lit called the Paynum torch. I I highly recommend spending time with Paynum. I I will be. I guarantee it. Uh, let's move on to Marty's Ben. Marty is going to be able to do a hell of a lot better job explaining this whole Connor Brown issue and the shilling of shit coins at the Stanford um, business school. All right. Okay. So uh, Tuesday, February 26, 2019 issue number 428, they're shilling shit coins in the classroom. Uh, and he puts up uh, Connor Brown's post or, or tweet that, that I read for you. I'll read it again to give some context. Posted below is an email that I sent to my to the Stanford GSB after a presentation in one of my classes. My professors refused to talk in person after bringing this to their attention over a month later. I still have heard no response other than we will get back to you on this. So what does Marty say about this? Here's an interesting story out of Stanford University, an institution held in very high regard here in the States and around the world that should send a shiver down all of your spines. There are professors shilling shit coins in the classroom and ripple, no less. My college days are getting further away from me as I look in the rearview mirror of my life. And luckily for me, it would seem I did not have the opportunity to take a class on Bitcoin or even have it broached as a subject throughout the course of my studies. As Bitcoin and the scams created in its wake continue to proliferate, it only seems natural that the subject will become more commonplace in the halls of our failing, extortionately expensive academic institutions. With this being said, it shouldn't be surprising that shitcoiners would infiltrate these halls in an attempt to mislead their unsuspecting pupils, as seems to be the case at Stanford. In an attempt to position Ripple as a superior cryptocurrency to Bitcoin, Connor's professor, who will not be named in this rag, we don't give these lowly snake oil peddlers the benefit of the Streisand effect, dropped a few overt untruths and displayed a fundamental misunderstanding of the way Bitcoin works as an incentive system and messaging protocol. On top of this, it turns out that the professor, who will not be named, is in bed with the Ripple company, working as a paid advisor... Shameless. Yeah, no shit. 
I feel for the unwitting classmates of Connor who were in the process of taking a deep dive into this subject with earnest curiosity only to be massively misled by the person they're supposed to be trusting to provide quality information, or at least facts, which they can digest and use to paint an accurate picture of the way Bitcoin works. This instance of classroom capture by special interests highlight the fact that the best way to learn about Bitcoin is in the same spirit in which it was created, free and openly on the internet. Especially considering the fact that a lot of people come to understand Bitcoin from different angles when first starting out. To think a structured curriculum that allows paid shills who are out of touch and fundamentally unable to grasp core concepts to come and cloud your understanding will be the best way to learn about this alien technology is asinine. If anything, our boy Connor's email perfectly exemplifies what a true scholar looking to explore and understanding this technology looks like. Using information that has been sourced online by f- for free by Bitcoin users and builders, displaying that he was able to use these free tools to develop a better understanding of the subject than the person he paid to teach him about it. Let that sizzle in your mind a few seconds. Free yourselves from the tyranny of conventional thinking and norms around the way we think we're supposed to learn. The current paradigm dictates that we sit in front of someone and take their words as authority. We're even getting to a point where special interests are able to infiltrate the classrooms and mislead students without disclosing their associations. You'll learn more by teaching yourself and learning with others in a collaborative fashion online. Bitcoin Twitter provides a free education every day. Don't fall victim to the confining nature of your typical university syllabus. Think for yourself and seek out the information sourced from the people who truly understand this subject and are nowhere near a classroom. Final thought, and he gives a song of the week, uh, so I'm not going to play that here. There's two things about this one, is that this was not Connor's professor. Um, She lectured as a guest lecturer to Connor's classroom instead of the actual professor of what's called the professor of record, which is, that's a thing, in case you didn't know, professor of record is the only person that's able to give you a grade and record it in the university system's grade book or whatever. But, it, and, and that, that you know, the professor of record is like the, the true gatekeeper. Okay. Um, if you miss a class, they're the ones that makes decisions as to whether or not they're going to excuse it. They're the ones that are responsible for everything. A guest lecture is responsible for nothing, except in this case, the very first sentence out of her mouth should have been, I am paid by ripple. And I'm going to talk to you today about Ripple. That's what should have been said. Now, she says that she disclosed her collaboration or whatever you call it with Ripple Labs or whoever the hell these people are. But she didn't say who she disclosed it to, when she disclosed it, in in which way she disclosed it. So I still think that there's massive ethics. uh, I'm not going to say violations, but you should know better. It's like that... uh, there was a, a the people versus Larry Flint was not only a, a movie, but it was, you know, the movie came from the fact that it was a famous Supreme court case. And in that, in, in, uh, and he went to court a couple of times at the Supreme court, I think it was twice, but during one of those, one of the hearings, one of the Supreme court justices, and I cannot remember who said, 
was I think the question was asked, you know, well, what is pornography? And he re, and the, the Supreme Court justice replied, I don't know how to define pornography, but I know it when I see it. This is the same shit right here. This person should know that getting this close to the ethical line, you should just turn around and walk walk away. If if you have any question in your mind then you should turn around and walk away. And this should have caused a question in this woman's mind. It, I'm sorry, it, it should. Now, here, here's the kicker, is that, yes, she was a guest lecturer. She is a professor at that same business school at Stanford. She walks the same halls. She's part of the same team. She has the same boss as the professor of record. Sorry, but... A paid ripple shill going into lecture these poor kids about how Ripple was better than Bitcoin. I don't know. Ethically dubious at best. Let's just keep it there. And that's going to do it for Marty's Bet. The Daily Trainwrecked is brought to you by, I don't know, there's three of them kind of, uh, well, you know, a few of them kind of. Um, yes, XRP got listed on Coinbase. That's a train wreck all by itself. But since that's kind of old, I want to talk to you, or I'm, I'm going to read this one from Spencer Noon with a reply from Zuko. Spencer Noon says, I predict teams will start turning to inflation-funded work in droves. And at Tezos is leading the way for this new mechanism. Zuko replies, also, Zcash? Ow. God, that hurts. Ah. and it's not, it's not really Zuko's reply that's the the train wreck, and it's not really Spencer's tweet, original tweet that's the train wreck. Where where my brain just slams up against the no go zone is teams turning to inflation funded work in droves. The thought of that is just ugh, is just kind of sickening. And I, I think, I think that that might be good. I, I do. I, I, I think that might be good because as long as they're shilling inflationary uh, coins and altcoins and shit coins and, and whatever, where they can just keep on printing it and keep on printing it and keep on printing it, the value, one of the main value propositions of Bitcoin will thereby be reinforced. 21 million coins, there will be no more. And if there's enough people to say we want inflation on the Bitcoin network, then they are going to have to fork the code and create their own shit coin because all of the people that got into this for the reason that we're into this will just say no. And we will run the software that enforces 21 million coins. And whatever shit coin that comes that peels off of Bitcoin in the process of that will die like the 47 shit coins that have already peeled off of Bitcoin. And there's, uh, there's at least 30 forks of Bitcoin. 
or iterations of with Bitcoin in the name. It's, it's sick. And none of them have gained any traction and none of them will. And if like, you know, for all the people out there that say, well, somebody can just change the code. It's like, yeah, somebody can. A lot of people have, and they end up on their own chain with nobody interested in that chain. And the same thing's going to happen. The only way that you're ever going to get the actual Bitcoin chain to be more than 21 million coins is if you put the entire world to sleep and infuse some kind of weird nightmare in their head that suggests that if they don't increase the 21 million coin cap, that we're all going to die. Good luck getting that done. Okay, so yeah, there's your daily train wreck for the day. Terrible Joke Corner is brought to you by Bad Joke Cat. I can't believe pretzels are not bread. Not is spelled K-N-O-T, like a pretzel knot. I can't believe pretzels are not bread. I'm sorry. I like jokes like this. That'll do it. Uh... Bend the tires, light the fires, people. FUD's getting thick. But we got stuff like Paynum coming up. Uh, we, I mean, different, uh, like this is, the, I think this will be the first torch on uh, on the main chain. It's, I'm excited, but the FUD's thick. You know, just like I said, man, keep keep yourself in the zone and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.